You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Tonight is Ask Me Anything night. Um, the pastors rotated congregations last week and did this again as a way of um, demonstrating that we're one church and um, spending time with each of our congregations uh, was really a joy. And we're going to end, this is the marker of the beginning of a season that highlights our dialogue because dialogue holds us together and um, keeps us connected. It it protects our gravity as the body of Christ uh, because we have to keep talking So this whole season is going to be um, someone asked questions. The talks are going to address different questions. We've been collecting them for a couple weeks. We have quite a list of thoughtful, deep questions to talk through. Um, And the other pastors are going to end this season with an Ask Me Anything, but I'm doing it this week because that week I will be out of town. So I'm happy to be with you after being with our South Broad congregation last week. And um, tonight is a little different than your someone asked questions. Obviously, um, to prepare a talk, uh, we, we have, we've had time to sit with your questions. And I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to be giving a talk to the questions that you ask tonight. It's probably better to think of what I have to say as a response more than an answer. You know, celebrities do ask me anything um, because they're like uh, really interesting people and they're famous and people like to ask them questions. The pastors don't do it for that reason. We, um, again, we're doing this just to demonstrate that this, even this meeting is something that we are making together because the Holy Spirit among us moves in our dialogue. So, I probably won't have an answer to everything you might ask tonight. Um, I have an eight-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter, um, but my son loves to ask questions, deep, like deep theological questions, uh, usually right at bedtime, like right before he's supposed to go to sleep, and because he knows I can't resist. Like, I'm, I'm, of course I'm going to talk to you about this. But he is wholly dissatisfied when I tell him, I don't know. That's a really good question. That's kind, that's kind of a mystery to me, too. He says to me, Mom, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know everything. So even though it's dissatisfying to him, it's really a joy to me because I hope that what he gets from that is that not only do the pastor does the pastor not have an answer for everything, following Jesus really isn't about having an answer for everything. It's about having a life with God through Christ that is a somewhat of a mystery. It is a journey of exploration and discovery and questions and relating. So that's what I'm doing with him at bedtime when he's supposed to be going to sleep. And I hope that's what we'll do tonight together. Um, You might, I know you do have deep theological questions that we're working on for this season. And each of the pastors is going to be answering a different one. So I hope you'll go to our recordings, our our online um, podcasts of the talks, because you'll get a, a wealth of wisdom from all of your pastors over the next few weeks. 
But um, you might not have known this was going to happen tonight. So that's okay. Does anybody have a question they can start us off with? Israel. Uh, last week, somebody asked Johnny what his like, biggest challenge as a pastor was, and he talked about having to like, trust God and the Holy Spirit to do the work to grow the church that wasn't just his responsibility. Right? Um, so I wonder for you, like, both, like, what's one of your biggest challenges as a pastor, and how do you continue to trust God when you face challenges like moving to a new congregation or stepping into becoming a pastor at all? How do I, sorry, I'm summarizing this because it is being recorded. Um, how do I handle challenges that come as a pastor? Is that, is that basically it? It's a good question. Uh, I'd say there are challenges every day. Um, I, I'm not the pastor because I um, come fully equipped and prepared and know all the answers, as I just said. So I think that, that um, one of the ways God has met me in this role as a pastor that has stretched me beyond myself repeatedly is that is through you all. Um, and what I mean by that is I continually see God meeting us and moving through this community. And because we don't, leadership is a team effort. Um, I, I, when I find myself getting stuck, feeling like I have to make something happen, actually what needs to happen is I need to remember that, that God is doing the work and we are, um, we are participating in that. And so each of us in our unique giftings, as we talked about at the beginning, um, is a part of that work. So I continually see God providing through this body, this community, and um, I do, I do. I, I am encouraged all the time that we can do more together um, than I could do in my own capacity. Thanks, Israel. What else are you thinking about? How long have you been leading cells? And what is my favorite thing about it? I don't remember. <laughs> I've been a part of Circle of Hope since 2003. And it was probably a couple years after that that I might have started leading a cell. When I first started leading a cell, I would, I would, I remember driving to cell feeling so anxious. Like, am I prepared? Do I have this all ready? I had my questions written out, whatever we were going to talk about. And uh, I remember distinctly when one of the other leaders said, you got to stop doing that. That's not what a cell is about. It's not about you teaching something or like leading this. You are facilitating what God is doing and listening for it. You're paying attention. And so that is my favorite thing about cells is that it really kind of undoes my need for control. And um, I really do have to trust and we have to trust together that when we gather together with Jesus in our midst, good things happen. And so I see more my role more as someone who's um, listening and paying attention to what is what God is doing even in that moment and in people's lives, and and trying to help um, create an environment where we can tend to that together. It's a kind of a lot like speaking of tending. It's kind of a lot like gardening. I am a gardener, and I love 
I love to garden because it reminds me all the time that I am not causing these things to grow. I am tending to the life that is, that is growing there. And I'm always surprised at what's happening in my garden. <laughs> and that surprise kind of keeps me re ready to look and to listen for what God is growing. Thanks, Kathy. Erica, what am I reading right now? Um, not long ago, I was telling, I've been talking about this book. I just finished The White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, and I highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal book, um, and I recommend that you don't read it alone. I, I keep talking about it because it is that kind of thing that she, she talks about what is fr white fragility, how does it manifest, um, and it really helps, it really has helped me do some of my own work around um, the, way, the way racism has seeped into me and plays out in our culture and in our relationships. Um, and, and she takes an unflinching look at it. So it's, it's not necessarily an easy book to read and it's meant, I think, to be um, talked about with a close friend who um, can help can help you do the work. Haisa. Um, so this, this question is kind of like a deep theological <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> but I, I like re-asking it because um, it's really important to me. The, and I wrote it down so I don't forget. So, so how do you personally, how do you process witnessing um, suffering in the world, such as tra tragedy, illness, loss, etc., as a Christian. Um, so I, I understand we're supposed to be the light, to be God's presence in the places of darkness, but for you, what piece of truth holds your faith together when you're alone with your thoughts, thinking about suffering, and how do you still worship God with that awareness? How do I hold on to my faith in the face of so much heartache and evil and suffering in the world? And specifically, how do I worship God in those moments when it might be threatening to overwhelm? I don't know if you all know this, but Haisa is working um, as, uh, it, with children with life-threatening illnesses. So you see this all the time. Many of you do too, are on the front lines in various um, fields and um, in your relationships. I can relate also, I think, um, living in Philadelphia and the world at large right now, it's, it's not, you don't have to look hard or far we're kind of surrounded by evidence of evil at work and um, suffering all around us and within us. I, I'm going to answer. I'm going to. I'm going to ramble a little bit to answer the question because I don't think I have one thing. Um, but as a social worker in Philadelphia, which is what I did before I became a pastor. Um, I think I went through this process, again, in community. It was in my cell. The first cell that I connected with at Circle of Hope really helped me with this because um, I was truly overwhelmed. I would get home from work, and I would lay on the couch in the dark for an hour 
or more, <laughs> just trying to decompress from all that I was feeling and thinking that I had encountered that day. And I remember going, con finally connecting to a cell. I, I didn't connect to a cell for a while, and finally when I did, I realized that I could find hope in what God was doing in the world through these people. And, you know, we had a lawyer in our cell. We had an architect. We had um, a teacher. You know, there were people in various um, professional fields, much less, you know, coming at different points in their life personally. And listening to them and relating to them really helped me to see that God is at work in ways that are much bigger than me and my little sphere of influence. So that encouraged me. And um, I think I've had to tend that hope over the years in lots of different ways. It's come in, in terms of personal disciplines um, and disciplines in community, like worship. There are times that I have come to worship and don't feel like I can worship. My heart isn't in that place. My head isn't in that place. It feels like a completely, um, I don't know, like there's a disconnect going on in me. And it helps me to worship with other people because I can hear the words and know the hearts of the people around me. And it, it actually, I, I can allow them to sing for me or pray for me in a way that I might not get to on my own in that moment. Thank you. It's a good question. Benjamin. Julie, thanks for being up there. Um, I have a question. So we give a lot of money to the MCC. I was wondering if there's any conflict since MCC doesn't allow open gay people to work for them. If there's like a conflict there with you at all with that, or just if it's like the work they do supersedes some of that kind of stuff. That is a good question, and um, actually, I'm going to defer the answer because Gwen White is going to be with us next week, and she is on the board of MCC, and others have, have questions about MCC and the work that they are doing and that we're doing through them, so I think, um, well, that's true. I know that she is in the thick of it with them. I'll say it like that. And she's the chair of the board. So I know that there is a lot of hard conversations happening. And um, it's not without conflict. So I don't know a lot of those details, but I do know that she's, um, and many others, are um, in the work and in the conflict. Yes, MCC is a Mennonite Central Committee. And we are very, we work hand in hand with them in relief and development work around the world. Um, our, our thrift stores are a, thrift stores par, are part of the MCC um, thrift store circuit, I guess. I, I guess I will say one more thing, and that is that I think the best way to have influence is to, um, I don't want to say the best way, because it depends on what context you're talking about. But... I think that using our relationship and being in the work together is a good way to relate to one another and to have influence. I see it happening in our congregations um, and in other ways. 
So I'm thankful for those who are uh, asking the questions. Steve. When it snows, how do you love your neighbor and park in your spot? Wow, it's so hot outside and Steve is thinking about the snow. When it snows, how do you love your neighbor? And they park in your parking spot. Um, I mean, I can definitely say I've had a lot of experience with this. Maybe some of you have too. <laughs> I'm going to expand that question to say that, um, you know, we take Jesus very seriously when he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And that plays out in lots of ways, whether someone's parking in your parking spot on a snowy day or, um, you know, any number of other examples that I won't list for you because I'm sure you have your own. I had an example with a neighbor in particular who um, was letting their dog out in the backyard, in our backyard, and we had to clean up after this dog repeatedly or discover it as my children ran through it. And um, we addressed this, this issue. We asked, anybody else relate to this? <laughs> um, and it didn't stop. And so I found myself getting consumed with this problem and I was so angry um, after weeks and weeks. And finally, I realized that I was so consumed that I would hear, when I would hear the little jingle of the bell of the tag on the dog, I would go run to the window to look out and see so I could catch him in the act and go confront him again. And when I realized this is just consuming me, I stopped to pray about it. And I can't say it was like a light bulb went on, but God definitely spoke to me because this was not the answer I wanted. <laughs> I, what I heard was relate to them apart from the dog. And I didn't want to, actually. I didn't want to be friends. I didn't want to be nice. I wanted to solve the dog problem. But um, I couldn't shake that word from God, and so I kept trying to work it out. And when they finally, actually they had a baby, and I took them over some food and a gift, it started a real relationship. And as the relation, I'm thankful to say as the relationship developed, the dog issue was resolved. But it took a long time. So whether it's a parking spot or a dog or anything else, um, I can't prescribe for you what to do, but I can say that God was really working at me to help me figure out what loving my neighbor looked like in the midst of that. Robbie. I know that your, your first term as a pastor just ended, and uh, uh, I'm wondering uh, what, what, are the, what are some of the things that you see in God working the most, maybe surprisingly even, uh, in this new role in you, uh, in your neighborhoods, in, uh, in the community that you've been a part of for so long? You know, like, how has God been at work for you? My first term did end. It was three, well, actually it will end. Uh, at the end of this month. It's been three years of since we launched this congregation on Ridge Avenue. And um, were you asking, what are some of the ways that God is working in me? Uh, yeah, I guess things that get highlighted in your awareness that um, doesn't have to necessarily be like for you personally, but ways that uh, 
you, you used to see the world in one of the ways, as a social worker, and now you see it as a pastor. You know? And I'm wondering like, uh, if, that, if that allows you or has, has uh, enabled you to see God working in, uh, in different ways, or maybe you've seen God transition to work in your life, in your community's life, in new ways. It's a kind of general and vague question, but uh, I think You're letting me talk about whatever I want to talk about. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Uh, Brady asked great questions and very specific ones too. We're going to get to some of his later. Um, <clears throat> how is God at work? Where do I see? I mean, moving this congregation from Ridge Avenue is a story I keep telling. We've, we were on the journey to look for a bigger space and um, when we actually, when, when we found this space and they said yes, this congregation like, like mobilized. And we actually moved, we literally packed up and moved the whole thing in one night after we had a Sunday meeting there, packed up and moved everything over here and set up. And it's taken, you know, weeks to get our feet on the ground and figure out how, how to do this in this space. Um, but the fact that the second week we were here, we hosted a party on the front porch because we wanted to meet the neighbors, and 140 people came. It was pretty astounding to me. Um, it was such a mix of friends and neighbors and people that we know with also people who had just gotten a flyer from us going up and down uh, West Tulpahawken and East Tulpahawken and, and, and all around the neighborhood. So that was a great demonstration, I think, and confirmation that... Um, God is doing a new thing, and having more space for the next people um, really, really matters. Thanks. Aaron. Uh, so my question is, what is the future of Circle? I'll couch that in saying, um, I've, been, I've been a part of the congregation for about two years now, and I've, I've kind of heard stories of things that have happened before I joined. Uh, sometimes I wonder, like, why, why doesn't that happen more? But, or now, I, I, and I see new things that are happening now. Like, there's definitely a path that Circle has taken over the past 20 years, of which I've only been a part of the past two. And I'm just wondering, uh, where is it headed? What is the future of Circle? What is the future of Circle of Hope? I think we will determine that together with God, but. Um, one way that we have changed dramatically is that when we first, um, when Circle of Hope was first started as a small cell in Rod White's uh, living room and even grew to be a congregation, um, there were not that many children. There were a lot of young 20-somethings um, who were finding their way in the world and uh, felt God leading them to do something together and to be a distinct people who could act together in this time and place. And I think we continue to be that. Uh, we are trying to move with what the Spirit is doing next, so we are discerning that all the time. Um, and it does look really different because we have a lot of young families and a lot of young children. And so we have really, I think, developed in our um, theology and our capacity to create an environment where our children can grow 
and develop a life of faith with God and be loved and known in ways that help them to love and know God. And specifically for this congregation, I think the future, we, the cell leaders, we keep talking about how we want to have a cell in every Northwest neighborhood and maybe even the surrounding um, counties. We are a cell church, and I don't, that's not changing. We've discerned that specifically as, as a whole church, that this next year our whole map is focused on renewing our cell movement and um, ways to express that. So I really think that through cells, it, people get next to Jesus because they're getting next to you. They're, they're, it, it's an opportunity to have real relationships face-to-face, and discipleship happens there, worship, community, service, compassion, all of that happens in a cell. So I think that the future, at least um, this immediate future and beyond, will be through the life of our cells. And we, I think, have to keep adapting creatively um, to what that looks like, when they meet, where they meet, how we include people in our cell movement. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.